In this episode, Agnes answers your questions about farming foibles, marketing mishaps, or personal predicaments. Email agnesanswers at gmail.com to receive audio advice from agriculture's agony aunt. Now, here's Agnes. Welcome. Yes, I, Agnes, am here to give audio advice to agriculturalists on this, the third episode of the Agnes Answers podcast. And we're going to keep on going with two question seekers per episode. But first, first, I want to talk about the Global Ag Network. So, I can tell by the fact that you're listening to this that you enjoy podcasts. I do hope you're enjoying this podcast so far, and I hope this episode will also be enjoyable. But knowing that you enjoy podcasts and you enjoy agriculture, that makes me think that you would probably, almost certainly, enjoy the content you can find at the Global Ag Network. That's globalagnetwork.com. All it is, folks, is just kind of a family of really good podcasts that agriculture people would enjoy. So the flagship of it, for instance, is Ag News Daily with Delaney Howell and Mike Pearson. They were featured on episode one of the Agnes Answers podcast, if you remember. Uh, They do a great news podcast every day. You've got the Working Cows podcast, Throwback Iron, all kinds of fun stuff. I'm certain if you go there to theglobalagnetwork.com, you can find stuff that you would enjoy. So that's my little plug there for our little family of podcasts. Let's grow this. Let's build a lot of excitement there. And um, yeah, I'm going to try and contribute another good episode of the Agnes Answers podcast to to build that family of podcasts. Today uh, is going to be kind of some serious topics, actually, talking about, you know, getting in Fights with your neighbors over uh, property destruction will be one of them. That sounds like a lot of drama. And then the other one will be uh, also very serious, talking about how to support each other when there's a death in the family. So serious, big topics today. But fortunately, we do have a little bit of lightheartedness just to kick it off. And that is the name, the the sign-in name of the person who's asking our first question today. I think this is the best advice seeker sign-in name I've ever seen. She calls herself Cows on the Lamb. Dear Agnes, what is the protocol when your cows get out in someone else's cornfield during growing season? I assume their crop insurance will cover the damage, but maybe we are liable. Obviously, I know we're liable morally speaking, but financially speaking, maybe they would seek damages from us or our farm policy. And then there's the social aspect. I have to see these people in church every Sunday. What sort of apology would be sufficient? Signed, cows on the lamb. I had to call in two experts for this one because I really didn't know. Uh, it's something I've always wondered, and I suspect other people have wondered, but how does insurance uh, cover damage from cows that get out uh, into someone's crop? And I've had it happen to myself both ways, but it's never been actionable an actionable problem, right? If my cows have gotten out in someone else's field, it happened to be someone who was renting that crop ground from my family, so they weren't going to you know, complain too much. And when the neighbor's cows have gotten out into my crop fields, it's never been serious damage, so I n- never really worried about it too much. So my instinct was that it, if there was damage, it was the kind of thing that would be covered by multi-peril crop insurance. That's what it's called, right? I figured the neighbor's cows are just one of those multiple perils. Uh, turns out that's wrong. 
The expert who set me straight on this is the most enthusiastic insurance data nerd I know. And I say insurance data nerd with a lot of respect and admiration. Uh, we're going to talk to George Vandivord, who is the agent owner of Smith Insurance in Lamont, Iowa. Um, I asked him, you know, about cows on the lamb. He was just hoping that the neighbor's crop insurance is going to cover the damage from her cows getting out. So I asked George, is that true? No. Um, actually, the liability follows with whoever owns the animal that did the damage. So um, and so the, the gal who owns these cows or guy, uh, if they know that it's their cows, probably, yes, the morally correct thing to do would probably be to notify the, the neighbor if the neighbor didn't know if they got them put back in and um, because the federal crop policy was designed to um, take care of anything that mother nature would throw at you. And, and technically mother nature is not in control of those cows um, person is. Um, so from that perspective, it, it follows who owns the cows. Now from an insurance claim standpoint, uh, the person that was damaged probably should notify their insurance agent as well uh, because their insurance agent may need to know that that's a, an uninsurable cause of loss on the federal crop insurance policy. And it's also an uninsurable cause of loss on the hail policy that they'd have. Um, there are some gaps that hail insurance kind of fills in for what federal crop does not do. Um, and the hail policy might inadvertently cover some things. If let's say um, somebody did damage to that crop and, and no one could be actually pinpointed as to who caused it, um, then the, the hail policy actually covers for malicious mischief and vandalism that may have occurred by someone actually going out there and destroying the crop. I did not know that about hail policies. And I didn't even think about hail policies in regard to this question. I mean, I suppose it makes sense that acts of cows are not acts of God, and equally, cows are not hail. The federal crop policy will only cover you for what you know a natural occurring event would have caused. So Things that we, we put hail policies in place for are not only for hail, but there's a number of other things that hail will cover you for. Uh, malicious mischief and vandalism is, vandalism is one of those. So if somebody were to drive into a crop, uh, blow through an intersection or a T-intersection and actually decide not to back out of a field except for turning around or, or maybe doing something just mischievous and tearing up some crop, the, the hail policy is there to fill in that gap. Um, right. If there was a field... A field fire, uh, for instance, that would be caused from a man-made occurrence of fire. And generally what happens is it's a combine fire or um, or something of that nature. Um, then the hail policy is also there for covering for that loss as well. Federal crop will not because it's a man-made occurrence. Cows also are not vandals. The, the person who has the crop should probably notify their insurance agent just to let them know that something's happened. Um, more probably from the farm liability standpoint that if in case, let's say the party that actually owned the cows was unwilling to do something about, then possibly the owner of the land or the crop could maybe get his insurance company involved to, to try and maybe get things, you know, ironed out and and make it right. I asked George if he's ever had anything like this happen to one of his clients. Uh, turns out he could do better than that. It's actually happened to me. Um, I have cows, and I had 
uh, I have a tenant that rents a little bit of ground right near my cow lot. Um, and it usually happens when you're not home. And for me, it wasn't. I had uh, cows dry lotted in the middle of summer. We were feeding them. Um, we have a TMR mixture. We were actually feeding the cows, supplementing them in the, in the lot. And the lot was right alongside the cornfield. And, and um, they actually had pushed through a fence when my son was feeding them. At the time he was feeding them, they were crowding around the bunk and pushed through the fence, got into the cornfield, unbeknownst to me, because uh, I'm down at the state fair with my daughter at that time. Um, she's showing some livestock, and son called me after the fact, after he got him back into the, to the lot, because he knew I would probably would have freaked out being four hours from home, <laughs> uh, more, more so than anything. But uh, in that case, I actually turned it in on my farm liability policy, and they, they made it right. So that's an avenue for cows on the lamb to pursue if she needs to make it right and reimburse her neighbors for any crops destroyed by her cattle. The farm liability policy. Yes, so that's that's what she would want to do is to turn in on her farm liability policy. And uh, and then the company can actually converse with the farmer who's had the loss and, and figure out an amicable way to, to settle it. Now, there were a lot of missing details in the question from cows on the lamb. We don't know what time of the season the cows got out, and we don't know how long the cows may have been out there on the cornfield. And all of those details would be needed to guess at how much damage was really done. It's possible if the corn was very small, very young, um, even if the cows graze it off, if the growing point is still underground, perhaps that corn might grow, continue to grow and produce uh a fully viable crop. Um, it's possible the cows just weren't out there very long and didn't do very much damage. So all of those would be, you know, we'd need more details to really get into this, but we'd also kind of need to know what is the insurance situation of everybody involved? What if somebody here was uninsured? Um, so what if this becomes not an insurance question, but a legal question? For that, I called in Paul Geringer. Paul Geringer is an extension legal specialist at the University of Maryland, Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics. Paul's also the host of the Maryland Ag Risk Management podcast. Uh, Paul had some very practical advice for cows on the lamb. So the first thing to do is you should think about stopping this problem from happening and just check your fences because checking the fences is going to apply to the rest of what I'm the rest of her question, I think, in some way, at least from the legal standpoint, that in most states, and fencing law is very hard to kind of generalize, because all states can have something different, or they may have nothing on the books. But for the most part, when we look at livestock being out, um, courts usually like to see that you're maintaining your fences, and when you know their problems, you're fixing them in a reasonable amount of time. So the first thing to do is just kind of think about prior to the corn season is or any growing season, are my fences good enough to keep my cows in? In this case, though, that's like trying to shut the proverbial barn door after the cows have already gotten out. In this case, they already got out. And we already know that if there are material losses, the owner of the crop should notify their crop insurance agent that an uncovered loss has occurred, and then the two sets of neighbors should approach the cattle owner's farm liability policy to get some kind of financial settlement to make it all right. But if that doesn't work out, 
then it may be time to call in the lawyers. Hopefully it wouldn't get to that because that's going to make the um, going to church with them every Sunday slightly (laughs) more difficult and not an easy situation to deal with. And hopefully they can work it out without getting an attorney involved. Um, Yeah, yeah, cows on the lamb might be liable for this. It goes back to the fence question as to, you know, how good were the fences? Did they have a tendency to not shut the gates when they were supposed to or the hired hand not shut the gates um, when they were supposed to be shut? You okay. Know, yeah. What type, what's their history of you know? Yeah, I think I, I've I've seen that in state laws. Yeah, that there is an expectation that cows do get out, that these things do happen, even for producers who have mm-hmm. excellent fences or whatever. That these things can happen, and state laws sometimes seem to sort of acknowledge that. But if you have been careless, then it's a different story. It's a it's a very much a different story. Yeah, courts are very willing to accept nobody's perfect. You know, snow's going to happen and or ice and knock down a fence at some point. Floods are going to happen and knock a fence down. It's just, you know, what's your other history besides the kind of act of gods that could take out a fence? Cows on the Lamb, again, didn't offer details about how the cows got out in the first place. Yeah, so I, I use my parents as examples. God, I hope they don't listen to this because then they'll know I use them as examples all the time in my extension programming. But they had a neighbor at one point, who had goats, cattle, everything, and never shut gates, never took care of anything. And they just wandered the country and just ate other people's stuff. So if you're that guy who just lets his cattle roam or his goats roam or his sheep roam, you're probably going to be more likely to have to pay some damage than you are if you're the normal farmer who just maintains fences and, you know, accidentally they get out one day. To be fair to your parents' neighbors, I don't know that there is any fence that can really keep a goat in. There is nothing that can keep a goat <laughs> in. I have great stories from a renter that had goats on one of their places. and The random problems we ran into trying to keep them in the yard. But yeah, there's nothing that can keep a goat in. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> but let's not forget about the last part of the question. Cows on the Lamb wants to know what she should do about the social aspects of this predicament. She has to go to church with these people after all, just to see them and look them in the eye. So both of my experts and most historical experience with most reasonable neighbors, and I'm not discounting the possibility that these neighbors might be the unreasonable variety of neighbors, because those do exist. Anyway, most the most common suggestion is to just apologize. Just acknowledge that it happened, say you're sorry, put it out there clear the air, get that done, and then just continue enjoying the church picnic or whatever. Just a simple apology. That might be all they want. And saying it'll never happen again, and that would deter a lot of the problems that could arise. Good advice. Again, thanks to George Vandivord and Paul Gerringer. George, again, if you're looking for an insurance agent, George is uh, the owner agent at Smith Insurance in Lamont, Iowa. And if you're looking for more dramatic legal podcasts in the agriculture space, check out Paul Gerringer's Maryland Ag Risk Management Podcast. Do you have a personal predicament or marketing mystery or farming foible? 
any sort of question that you would like Agnes to answer for you? If you do, then please send it in to agnesanswers at gmail.com. Either recorded in your own voice or written as an email is perfectly acceptable too. And if you want to be super anonymous, you can use the forms at agnesanswers.com. Then you'll receive advice, just like our next question seeker receives. Dear Agnes, My mother passed away about a month ago, and we're all very sad about it. Me, my wife, the kids, and I realize that nobody's more sad about it than my dad, but I just don't know how I can help him day to day if he refuses to move closer to Kansas City, where my family and my sister's family and all the grandkids are now living. Before mom passed away, it was very sudden. She was talking about them retiring from the farm, which is 400 miles away in Goodland, Kansas and moving closer to the grandkids. But now, any time either me or my sister try to bring this up to Dad, he just shuts down. Us moving back to the farm is just not in the cards. I built a good career here as an engineer, and I loved growing up on the farm, and I'm very grateful for that, but farming is just not my deal now. I don't know if Dad is upset about not having an heir who wants to take over the farm or not. Our kids are in good schools here. We want to look after him as much as possible, but we just can't. If he won't move closer than a five and a half hour drive away, what should we do? Signed, Widower's Son. Oh, I'm so sorry about your mom. You know, it's a real credit to you and your good heart that this is what you're being thoughtful about, that it's your number one concern, which seems to be the well-being of everyone else around you. Um, So before we get too far into that, you know, just again, my sympathies about the loss of your mother. I mean, there's grief like that is is not going to be easy. There's going to be in your life, there was the world that had your mother in it, and now there's the world without your mother, and it's going to be an adjustment process. Uh, So, widower son, I just want to encourage you to take good care of yourself and take care of your own grief to the same degree that you're worrying about and caring for your dad and your sister and your kids and all of your family members. It kind of seems to me as if you're almost trying to approach this as an equation to solve. You know, you're an engineer, uh, the design work, and and you can put numbers in and make things work and come up with a right answer. And you seem to want a right answer, that this plus this plus this is going to equal the right answer. So if you just say the right things, you can get your dad to behave in certain ways that will put your own mind at ease. But unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a right answer or a predictable timeline on any of these things. And that, of course, you know, is the problem with grief, right? There's, there's no timeline on grief and there's no one right way to do it. Everyone will experience grief differently. So in this instance, a husband will grieve his wife differently than a son will grieve his mother even if they were exactly the same two personalities, and you and your dad may not be the same personalities. So the things that you would want if you were in his shoes, or the things that you think would be right for him right now, may not be the same things that he actually wants, or that he considers right. From the question you wrote, it sounds to me like you automatically feel like moving your dad from Goodland to Kansas City would be the right answer for everyone. That was the plan that your mom had, and and it would be great for your kids, obviously, and, and you'd make life easier for you, right? And presumably make life easier for your dad if he starts to need more support. 
So he'd have you and your sister around and the grandkids to care for him as he's on his own now or as he grows older. And equally, you'd have him right nearby where you wouldn't have to worry about him or wonder what he's up to on his own. And the grandkids, of course, would have grandpa around, which would be wonderful. So I don't disagree that that might be a nice vision for your family if it would make your dad happy. But, and I'm speaking here myself as a somewhat crotchety, somewhat old farmer, um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes old farmers, we like to enjoy the smell of the soil and the sound of the wind on the prairie. These are the things, you know, these, these are the things that matter to us. And so moving to Kansas City, that might not be what your dad actually wants. It may be that he honestly prefers the comfort of being in his own environment. And think about that. In his own environment, he's got the chance to cherish the memories of farming with his wife, your mother, on the farm that they built together. And that may be the right pattern for his grief to take right now. So I want you to give yourself an opportunity to step back and not feel like this is a problem that you yourself on your own shoulders automatically need to solve right now or maybe ever and if it helps you put your mind at ease you know also remember the power of community in rural communities like goodland and goodland isn't kansas city uh, but it's a pretty good sized town but it's still got you know those rural connections i'm sure your dad has a community of friends like neighbor farmers and your mom's friends probably a church community and all of these people i have no doubt are willing and happy to be there for your dad, to be of service to him, and to be there for you. I think if you want one concrete action item piece of advice, I would suggest that you call up a neighbor of your dad's or a family friend in town who you know is there, and you could ask them to keep an eye on your dad and make sure they've got your cell phone number, and then they can effectively be your eyes and ears on the ground so you don't feel obligated to venture back and forth five and a half hours all the time. Again, it's a credit to you as a good child that you are so interested in what your dad needs and that you want the two of you to be physically closer so that you can watch out for him. But you may not need to be physically closer to accomplish that purpose. Think of video calls and even this, this good network of neighborhood spies, let's call them. I think you can effectively watch out for your dad without necessarily uprooting him from a place that he probably loves and adding, honestly, what might kind of be trauma on top of trauma to put this move on top of uh, losing his wife. So I honestly do want you to feel more confident that his rural community will look out for him. And I did just want to pick up on a, on a few other things there that I think are true in a lot of families with this scenario, whether or not someone has passed away and whether or not they're grieving. But you talked about the way that you're not sure if your dad is upset about not having an heir to take over the farm. And I can hear in your question, again, more of this guilt that I think you're taking on to yourself unnecessarily. You did enjoy growing up on the farm. Great way to grow up. Great lifestyle. It probably helped you get into this career as an engineer, finding out how things work and designing things and making things work. I think you should be proud of that. And I'm sure your dad is proud of that. It's probably just a scenario that the two of you haven't talked about it. You say specifically, you're not sure if your dad is upset that there's not an heir to take over the farm. So 
Obviously, one way to uh, resolve that question would be for the two of you to talk about it. You could ask him, Dad, are you upset about not having someone to take over the farm? And it's entirely possible that the answer is he's totally fine with it. The pride that he feels of your career and your sister's career, maybe all he ever asked for was to raise a good crop of kids and grandkids. So I think there's another piece of that too is that you might have felt in your mom's willingness or desire to come move to Kansas City and to be near the grandkids. That was a special sort of grandmotherly love that she wanted to be physically near to them. And you're not experiencing that from your dad right now. But I want you, again, to sort of reframe your thinking here that just because he doesn't want to pick up and leave the farm and move to Kansas City five and a half hours away to be near his grandkids, again, I don't think that's a reflection that he loves his grandkids any less than your mother did. I think we just need to, to be very kind to each other and reframe the way that we ourselves may think things through or the decisions that we ourselves might make in those same scenarios are not the same decisions that our beloved family members might make. Different people have different priorities and different ways of handling things and different sources of joy. I believe it's possible that your father, grieving for your lost mother, is taking great joy out of still being able to be on the farm, experiencing the life that he built with her there, where those memories still are, and I believe he's very likely finding resources and comfort in his local friends in a scenario where he feels at home and comfortable, and that may be the absolute best scenario for everyone involved. But of course, the answer, if you really want to solve this mystery, all you have to do is ask. I'm sure you could just pick up the phone and ask specifically. It's probably hard if you're not in these communication patterns already, but you can always ask. Or just say, maybe don't frame it as a question, maybe just say it outright sometime the next time you call your dad on the phone. Dad, I want you to know if you ever would like to move closer to my sister and I here in Kansas City, we would be more than happy to help in any way, and it would be a joy to have you near the grandkids. In the meantime, please take good care of yourself and take joy in the farm and the local community that you've built for yourself there. So I guess in summary, widower's son, again, I want to recognize your tremendously thoughtful heart and wish you a good path in your own grieving and give you a few good action items. Number one, talk to some trusted neighbors on the ground near your dad. And number two, have a conversation with your dad just to make sure you haven't left anything unsaid. And then give yourself permission to take care of your own grief and give your dad permission to grieve in his own way, which may or may not involve a move into a big city and away from the farm where he's built his life for so long. He really is lucky to have you, and I'm sure he knows it. Agnes Answers is a podcast that is produced and recorded by me, Agnes. Uh, All of the sound editing and sound engineering such as it is, all of that is performed by me, Agnes. Our theme music, uh, that was me, Agnes. And I believe there's a little bit of uh, special sound effects in this podcast. Those were recorded by me, Agnes, but obviously produced by a lovely herd of 
cows waiting for their lunch. Okay, now listeners, take good care of yourselves. Until next time.